This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in your day, what's the first thing you would do? Get outside more? Check in on that friend you've been meaning to catch up with? Maybe learn how to play an instrument? I know I've thought about what I would do with more time in my day, and many people daydream about what they might do in that scenario. The best way to squeeze that special thing into your actual schedule is to know what's important to you and take whatever reasonable steps you can to make those things more of a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it. Therapy is not just for people who've experienced major traumas. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills, how to set boundaries, and it empowers you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking about giving therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a quick questionnaire that will match you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash FilmDaily. This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its six-year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Film Show. Today is Tuesday, August 29th, 2023. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the weekend's box office numbers and then talk a little bit about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I am an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film staff writer and box office analyst, Ryan Scott. Hey, everyone. How's it going? All right, Ryan, let's get into it. Let's talk a little bit about what happened at the box office this past weekend. It was National Cinema Day on Sunday. Did you go out and and see a movie for $4, Ryan? Uh, I did not have the opportunity to do so, but I also have like a season pass to the Alamo Draft House. So like, you know, I pretty much I pay my 20 bucks a month and go. But I also I'm a big proponent of this whole thing. It worked out well last year. It seemed to work out again this year, too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so so let's go through some specifics. Um, I think the movie that I'm most excited about being out in theaters now and and is going to actually, uh, I think, roll out to a wider audience later this week is Bottoms, this new comedy from MGM and Orion. Um, so tell me about how that performed. 
Yeah, so uh, Bottoms uh, did extremely well. Uh, it, so what MGM is doing, and I think wisely doing with this movie, which I saw at South by Southwest back in March, um, is they're doing you know what, what they used to call platform release. So they're releasing it in 10 theaters first in a few key markets, uh, such as LA, New York, and we've got, uh, I think, one theater here in Austin showing it. Um, and then they're going to expand wider next week. And I think if that goes well, you know, you roll it out a bit wider. But uh, it made $516,000 from just 10 locations, meaning that it made $51,000, $51,600 per screen it was on. So that's like an incredible turnout. Um, and uh, it actually uh, beat a record that was held by Everything Everywhere All at Once. So during the pandemic era, uh, you know, since the pandemic began, um, everything everywhere all at once had previously the best per screen average for a movie that was released on 10 screens or more. Uh, and, and it had made $501,000 uh, on its opening weekend on just 10 screens. And that movie went on to make $141 million worldwide and win Best Picture. So <laughs> I am not saying that's what's going to happen with Bottoms, but. I am saying that that's a good start for a movie that, you know, could use some momentum, particularly, you know, because you have a good cast here that can't go out and make the, you know, the, the talk show circuit. And, that, and I think sometimes those those uh, press tours really help these smaller movies. So you have like, you know, Rachel Senat, who people really love. And for me, I think Marshawn Lynch is in this movie and he's a big star who's got a lot of reach beyond your typical folks. So um, it's a shame they can't be out promoting the movie like they like they'd probably like to. But uh, this is this is still encouraging. Yeah, Marshawn Lynch, for those who only pay attention to movies, might not immediately recognize that name. He's a, a former NFL football player who was on, I think, at least one episode of um, this Netflix comedy uh, improv series called Murderville, which had yes. um, Will Arnett playing a detective and uh, random celebrities appearing in every episode, having no idea what the premise of the the concept of the of the uh, particular episode was, but basically just having Will Arnett like walk them through sort of situations where they would have to improv their way uh, through you know different like um, hard boiled private eye type of uh, mystery solving scenarios, and Marshawn Lynch was like one of the big standouts from that, and I think the uh, the director, uh, Emma Seligman of Bottoms, saw that episode of of uh, Murderville and said, like, hey, let's get Marshawn Lynch to be in this movie. So that was a, a real fun. Yeah, that uh, episode of Murderville, if you you don't need to watch, like, it's not a show you need to follow. Just go watch the Marshawn Lynch episode of Murderville. It's incredible. And he, you know, I didn't even know when I saw this movie, I didn't know he was in it. And and I liked football, so I knew who he was. But, but he... He steal. I mean, he is incredible. I even wrote a thing for us about how he's got like he's got like a straight up movie star quality to him. And I am not kidding, like because not all athletes do, but he is really good. But anyway, point being, uh, it's encouraging for a movie that could use this sort of bump, you know, at a time when, you know, uh, you know, and I and I very much stand with SAG on this. But it does suck that these actors can't go out and promote these movies they'd surely like to talk about. Yeah. One other way that people can, I guess, get another look at some of the folks who are in this movie. Um, we have an article that I will link to in the show notes called Before Bottoms, A.O. Edebiri and Rachel Sennett's short-lived miniseries is essential viewing. And the two of them who star in Bottoms, uh, I think co-wrote and star in this series of like three five-minute long 
short films that aired on Comedy Central. Uh, and all three are very, very funny. So um, you can check those out at the link in the show notes there. And I would I would highly encourage you to do that because it's well worth your time. Um, okay, so let's, let's continue talking about some other notable stories at the box office. Um, let's see. Blue Beetle, Ryan, how, how did Blue Beetle do in its second weekend? Um, you know, so the finals came out, uh, the, the weekend finals, and did a little worse than, than it initially looked like. Uh, it kind of looked like initially like it was going to have a 49% drop. Uh, it actually dropped 51%. So, uh, you know, it had a $12.1 million second weekend. Um, you know, around 50% is okay. It's not the, it, it, you know, what you really want for a movie that underperforms is for good word of mouth to maybe help minimize those drops. Um, eh, you know, uh, not great. Um, right now it's at 46.5 million domestic and 35.8 internationally, giving it an $82.3 million global take. The movie's got about a $104 million production budget. Now let's keep in mind, this was originally going to go to HBO max now just max, um, uh, with no theatrical release whatsoever. So I do think that you maybe need to grade this on a bit of a curve. Um, but, uh, I think the more concerning thing here is that clearly the DC name is not, really bringing people out right now, uh, you know, like, like it once maybe did. So, um, you know, could, could not an outright disaster, but certainly not great. Yeah. And even with, you know, $4 tickets on national cinema day, the fact that people didn't completely, you know, flock out and say, okay, the, you know, the, uh, movie prices are the thing that was holding me back from this, um, is yet another, thing that DC has to be a little concerned about, I think. Well, and um, I think like one of the things is that like, I think Blue Beetle second to Barbie was the movie that benefited the most from those $4 tickets. If I, if I recall correctly, like on Sunday, but, um, but, but I mean, even so, I mean, the, the only problem with that is your $4 tickets. I mean, you know, your box office is four bucks a pop as opposed to, you know, 10 bucks a pop, you know? Yeah. So, you know, so, it, you know, that does ping things. So if you looked at admissions, it would probably be nice, but you know, whatever the case, Warner Brothers has to look at the bottom line as far as like what they're going to pull in from this. And, mm -hmm. you know, so I, I, I've said it before. I do not envy the future. Uh, I do not envy James Gunn and Peter Saffron right now having to look at what they have to try to <laughs> the ship they have to try to write. So one person I do envy is Christopher Nolan, because Oppenheimer has indeed, as you once predicted on this podcast, Ryan, it is past inception at the box office. This is kind of, you know, I mean, we were talking about how just sort of mind boggling that would be weeks ago. And it has indeed uh, chugged along and, and overtaken that movie, which is really wild to think about. Yeah, I should mention this is at least domestic for right now. So Oppenheimer uh, is now sitting at just like a few pennies shy of 300 million um domestic and inception made 292.5 million domestic however inception 825 worldwide during its entire run uh oppenheimer 777 right now however the way things are going it just opened in china and it's actually apparently doing pretty well there and it opened in a couple of other markets so those grosses are still coming in oppenheimer looking at like a 900 million dollar finish probably so so it it probably in all likelihood will uh, past inception globally is what you're saying. There's too, no right? question it's going to. It's just a matter of like it, it, it's just a matter of when it happens. Uh, but yeah, so so worldwide, Oppenheimer will be third only to The Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises for Christopher Nolan, which is unbelievable. Uh, so yeah, yeah, and just I mean, I I don't want to belabor this because we've talked about it already, and I don't know if I've already made this exact point on a previous episode. So forgive me if I have. But just like the thing that I keep coming back to about this is like the idea that. Oppenheimer does not have a 
a poster of a guy with a gun on on the cover, you know, or on the in the image, right? Or or like uh, there's no like bending city or like crazy um, visual uh, innovation or whatever. It, and it's just basically a three hour biopic of a bunch of guys sitting around and talking. And then there's a nuclear test that it goes off. So like, it's just, when you put it in those stark terms of like what most blockbuster movies do in terms of like, uh, hitting particular beats or, um, falling back on formulas that have proven successful over and over and over again. The fact that Oppenheimer did not really do that in, in the same way that you would expect, you know, a major, major, uh, moneymaker at the box office to do and still has passed, you know, one of the most like visually dynamic and interesting uh, blockbusters of the past 15 years is, um, is yeah, just a, a really notable thing. So, yeah, I've uh, made that comparison a lot in the articles I've written. I'm like, look, if you just look on paper, three hour R rated biopic where people talk a lot versus mind heist, you know, like, yeah, it's, yeah, like, exactly. it, it's really, it, but I mean, credit, you know, Nolan's going to get a blank check to do whatever he wants next. So good for him. Okay, so tell me about what happened with the Gran Turismo box office numbers, because this seems like a, there was a, uh, you wrote an article called Sony claims Gran Turismo beat Barbie at the weekend box office, but it's pretty sketchy. And I've seen a lot of um, sort of consternation from the box office community, uh, people being like, wait a second, what's going on here? So sort of lay this out for me, right? Yeah, so this is a little complicated, like, and I'm, I don't want to go so far as to say I'm consternated, but I'm like, I see what you're doing, Sony. So Sony released Gran Turismo uh, wide this weekend. However, they had originally planned to release it earlier in August, but because of the strikes, they kind of needed to build some momentum in the press to, you know, because they can't have the cast out there promoting the movie. So um, as Variety noted, uh, um, Barbie, uh, Warner Brothers is claiming Barbie took the number one spot because it made $15.1 million over the weekend. However, Sony is saying that Gran Turismo was number one because it made $17.4 million. However, Sony held two weeks of what were like these sneak preview screenings, like in the two weekends leading up to the release of Gran Turismo to try to build some word of mouth. And that pulled in $3.9 million. Well, they were lumping in that $3.9 million into the total. Mm-hmm. So you take away that 13 point uh, that 3.9 million you're left with only 13.5 which would mean the actual opening weekend gross of Gran Turismo was less than Barbie um now Gran Turismo did 1.4 million in Thursday preview screenings almost every studio pretty much pretty much every studio when you have like a, a Thursday nights you'll add those into the Friday grosses that's like industry standard practice that's not what's fishy here it's fishy that Sony's taking those two weeks of screenings and saying, yeah, those count toward the opening weekend. Eh, you know, so so that, that yeah, they're, they're kind of trying to inflate that gross a little bit. And I think part of that has to do with the fact, like I said, you can't have the cast and people out there marketing this movie. So now in those first week TV trailers that run or the, the Instagram, you can put the number one movie in the country or whatever, you know, and that's what mm-hmm. helps. You know, they, they, they can claim that if they want. But so that's what... I, you know, it, it, it's not the first time it's happened, I should mention. Like, earlier this year, Paramount did something similar with Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves. You know, they had a couple of preview screenings that they lumped in, but, you know. Yeah, so I, I, I want to say I read something about this, about Paramount also doing it with Mission Impossible, right? Or was, am I... I think Mission Impossible had a, a couple of, like, yeah, early IMAX screenings, but I, but I, uh, I don't, I, I, at the time, it was, I think the reason those didn't get as much of attention is because they were such so widely number one that it hardly matters. Yes. 
you know yes. so, so so i think that's the thing that's the key difference there yeah if like um if this was the weekend where uh like let's say last weekend uh, blue beetle had not um knocked barbie off of that uh streak that it was on of of that number one thing and then sony comes along this weekend and says oh by the way gran turismo is the movie that ended barbie's run or whatever i think warner brothers would be crying foul even more than they are right now but like oh, absolutely yeah, like, absolutely like there's yeah. there's no question so so you know like it, it it's it's messy and like sony frankly needs a win um they yes they've had spider-man across the spider-verse this year but they also had 65 big george foreman the machine they've had some movies really come up short like and i mean really come up short those were pretty big you know like ugh. You know, and then, yeah. and then, you know, even No Hard Feelings, which is like their other kind of hit this year, 86.6 million worldwide against a $45 million budget. That's not like a clear win. You know, mm -hmm. that's like an, uh, you know, that's kind of a win. So, so yeah, Sony's, I think, trying to goose this year. The only positive that I've seen is that Variety was the first outlet that I saw report a budget for Gran Turismo and they reported it at 60 million. I had previously heard a hundred million. So I'm, I'm going to be very happy if that's close to true, but who knows? Yeah, I think I, I was listening to an episode of uh, the Town podcast over at the Ringer, and um, Matt Bellney was saying that uh, that Variety reported 60 million, but he was hearing it was like 72 million or something was the actual budget. So I guess that's more like in the middle of. But of, even 72 would be like 100 gets you in another level of like you got to make you know tons and tons of money. So even 72, I think you know, because if you can somehow get to 200 million worldwide, you know, you can sort of you know, but yeah, that, 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 so I don't know. We'll see, but, um, you know, kind of a messy start for the movie in some way. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we were mentioning Barbie and, uh, Barbie has crossed, um, yet another impressive threshold. They, uh, Greta Gerwig's movie is now Warner brothers biggest movie ever at the global box office, which I mean, I guess we should say unadjusted for inflation. That's basically like a should be understood for all of the box office talk that we do <laughs> pretty much. Um, yes. Yes. But, uh, but still that's like very, very impressive, Ryan. Do you have any like takeaways from that? Well, I mean, look, just so people understand what Barbie has done, the movies that it passed to get here recently, it just passed black Panther. It just passed star Wars, the last Jedi. And most so, so again, let that sink in, please. Barbie. But those aren't those aren't Warner Brothers. But, no, no, those aren't but, Warner Brothers movies. But I'm saying that like just sink in how much money Barbie has made. That yeah, Barbie yeah, yeah. has made more money than the sequel to Star Wars: The Force Awakens. But then most importantly, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two was Warner Brothers' highest grossing movie, and Barbie has now made more money than Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two. The conclusion of the Harry Potter saga, absolutely <laughs> insane. So that movie made $1.31 billion, but that was back in 2011. So again, this is unadjusted or whatever, but Barbie now at $1.34 billion and it will, it is looking almost certain that it will now pass the super Mario brothers movie to become the highest grossing movie of the year. Um, it's already done that at the domestic box office, right? Yeah. It did that domestically, but now we're talking worldwide. But I think at the beginning of the year, if you'd said is Mario or Barbie going to make more money, I think most people would have said Mario like in a walk. But mm -hmm. so, you know, it's, I mean, unbelievable. And Barbie has a shot at cr passing Avengers Age of Ultron, you know, to, to, to move up to 14 on the list. So, I mean, just got a credit to Barbie, man. I mean, just unbelievable, unbelievable 
you know, to, to Greta Gerwig, to Margot Robbie, to to Ryan Gosling for like just his unbelievable level of commitment to this thing, to to Warner Brothers and Mattel for going, here's $145 million, go make your movie. You know, I yeah. I mean, you know, I what an unbelievable run this movie's had. So the last box office story that I wanted to talk to you about, Ryan, is uh, sort of an unexpected one. Um, it's for a movie that came out in 1993 originally, and that is uh, Jurassic Park. Tell me about what the latest is with the Jurassic Park box office. I didn't really think we'd be talking about this. Uh, well, let me tell you a little bit about my favorite movie of all time here. Um, so uh, Jurassic Park was re-released uh, very late uh, for its 30th anniversary. Um it, t- it came out in June, I think I believe it was, in, in summer of 93, but Universal just now released it, re-released it for its 30th anniversary. 1,200 theaters, which is like a lot, but not a ton, uh, only in 3D and mostly at like Cinemark or, or like like AMC. It made $1.7 million um, some 30 years after its release. So, you know, um, not like a not like an insane amount of money, but let's be very clear, this movie has made its money so far. Universal had already had the movie converted to 3D 10 years ago. Very minimal marketing. So, you know, that's all icing on the cake. Universal probably gets to take, you know, another million dollars, you know, and just be like, thanks, you know, thanks again, Jurassic Park. Um, You know, so, so pretty, 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 I mean, for me, that's pretty impressive. It it gives, it gives theaters a little something, you know, like it it helped get some meat and seats over the weekend. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I think that that's good. And I, the one thing I would say is that, when I spoke to Frank Marshall last year, um, uh, for uh, I talked to him a little bit because Dominion was coming out, and and I said, you know, is this the end? And he's like, nope. You know, so Frank Marshall was like, that's the end of that trilogy. We're gonna make more movies. So I think that Jurassic Park, thirty years later, with a minimally advertised re-release, pulling in a couple million bucks, probably says to the folks at Universal, why don't we get another one of these Jurassic Park pictures moving? Uh, so I, I would wager that if anything, this is probably a sign to me that they're they're going to make another Jurassic Park movie. Yeah, let alone the fact that Dominion crossed the billion dollar mark, you know. So uh. right, a movie that seemingly <laughs> nobody liked, like a movie right. that like a movie that like I was prepared to go to bat for and just walked out of that theater so heartbroken, you know. <laughs> but you know, yeah, and like it made a billion dollars. So you know, and also <laughs> not for nothing. Colin Trevorrow was pretty thrifty with those movies. Even on a COVID inflated budget, he got Dominion made for 175 million. And if you listen to this podcast as of late, you know, 200 million is kind of the floor for a COVID blockbuster. So like, you know, that's pretty good. Um, So, you know, Universal's making money on those movies for damn sure. Well, yeah, we'll definitely be tracking whatever uh, Jurassic announcements Universal will inevitably make. I'm guessing they'll wait until after the strikes are over before they announce anything like that. But um, it it would not surprise me at all if like they have people in rooms talking about this right now. So, um, yeah. All right. Well, thanks very much, Ryan. I appreciate it. Let's take a break and then we'll be right back. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. All right, I'm joined now by Slash Film Editor BJ Colangelo. Hi, hi, hiya. All right, BJ, let's talk about a couple things, a couple pieces of sad news, actually, before we dive into the rest of the stuff. Uh, Bob Barker passed away since the last time we recorded here. Uh, he's died, he was 99 years old, and um, 
I mean, long time host of The Price is Right, uh, beloved uh, cameo figure from Happy Gilmore. I mean, like <laughs> Bob Barker was just a, a staple of, um, I feel like everyone's television diet for the past, what, 50, 40 years or something like that. So uh, what what memories do you have of Bob Barker? Was he like a, a big figure in your TV life? Oh, he's the king of the of the sick day, as I like to call it, because when you're a kid, the only time you get to watch The Price is Right is when you're homesick from school. Uh, so Bob Barker is a big deal uh, for me in in that regard. And also he is, in my opinion, the the biggest advocate for spaying and neutering your pets, which is a thing everyone should do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, like th- I was reading the the obituary that we published on on Slash Film, and I, I learned a couple things. Like, you know, Price is Right and Bob Barker, I guess by extension, are were those kinds of things that were just always there. So I never really gave them much thought because the the uh, what is that phrase? Um, uh, omnipresence, I guess, <laughs> of them mm-hmm, is just mm-hmm. was just kind of like it never. I was like, oh, they'll always be there. If I if I need to look into this further, I can because. Um, it's just a ubiquitous part of, of the American television experience. But I didn't even realize that The Price is Right was the longest running game show in North American history or like that he was the host of another game show for almost 20 years before he even came to The Price is Right, which he stayed with from 1972 to 2007. I mean, that is just like an, a totally insane uh, broadcasting career. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to, to give it up for Bob Barker here and uh, I don't know. Did you watch Happy Gilmore a lot growing up, BJ? Oh, yeah. Uh, the the 90s run of Adam Sandler films kind of live in my bones, and Happy Gilmore was is a big one. Uh, you know, saying the price is wrong, finish the line. <laughs> uh, very much a, a part of my upbringing. And uh, I'm also a huge fan of uh, Perfect Bid, the contestant who knew too much, which is a documentary, I think it's on Netflix, about a guy who figured out how the prices right worked and basically memorized all the prices and uh it is so fascinating but yeah bob barker is just you're right when he says he's omnipresent like he's just always been a part of i think so many of our lives and you know it's not often that you have a game show host where like people will get like custom like sweaters like moms from indiana are getting custom sweaters made that are like oh my god bob i love you yeah. like that's incredible <laughs> yeah awesome stuff um another person unfortunately who passed away recently is arlene sorkin who is the original voice of harley quinn on batman the animated series um i mean that show i've probably talked about it before was such a huge deal for me growing up. And, you know, I love the Harley Quinn uh, animated series that's on Max right now, but like mm-hmm. Harleen Sorkin is the voice of Harley Quinn it's still in my mind. I mean, she she brought that character to life in such a, a vibrant, fun, unique way. Um, so I don't know. Do, do you have any, uh, I guess, memories of Arlene Sorkin or, or any um, Harley Quinn things to share here? Oh, I was such a Harley Quinn girl when I was younger because you know, lady villains um, tend to be of like two camps of either they're like gross, disgusting monsters, or they are like so hypersexual and, you know, pretty much there to exist for the male gaze. And Harley Quinn isn't that. I mean, she is somewhat now because of the way she's been reinterpreted. But, you know, the Arlene Sorkin version of her, she's just 
crazy and wild and fun and bubbly. And, you know, she's evil, but she's also very exciting. And there is something about the, that constant uh, juxtaposition that really spoke to me when I was younger. And I was really, really into the character. I mean, I still am, let's be real. Um, but <laughs> I was really, really into the character when I was younger because I really hadn't seen anything uh, like her and, and, in her passing, unfortunately, was when I did finally learn that it wasn't just, you know, her voice that inspired, you know, the character of Harley Quinn, but that, you know, Bruce Tim also knew her and she did like this Harlequin like character and like a sketch comedy thing. And that was also an inspiration to create the character. So it's not just her voice. It's also her as a person yeah. and as a performer. And that is so cool to to know that this person has inspired what has become one of the most like beloved and prolific member of the rogues gallery. Like mm -hmm. that just rules. Yeah, absolutely. And I didn't realize that she had uh, a sort of side career as a screenwriter as well. She wrote episodes of tiny tune adventures, which was another show mm -hmm. that I grew up loving in the early nineties. So um, I, that was just like a, a part of her career that I had no idea about. So uh, rest in peace to Arlene Sorkin and to Bob Barker. I just wanted to sort of, uh, yeah, give them a, a shout out here at the top of this section of the show. Um, we, we have a bunch of things written down here on the doc. I'm going to, I'm going to provide links for people to click through and learn about more of this, but really BJ, I want to get to uh, a piece that you wrote at the end of last week called TikTok has broken Hollywood and no one knows what to do about it. Um, before we get there, I'll just, I'll just mention like Disney plus is not going to be releasing the Spiderwick Chronicles TV show that they already shot. And, and I think edited, uh, oh, I hate that so much. <laughs> yeah. It's like, they're taking a page out of the Zaslav playbook and it really right. sucks. I'm sure for, for the people who worked on that show, um, HBO has canceled the idol. So we won't have, blessedly, we won't have to pay. Bye, bozo. To <laughs> um, and then Warner Brothers has delayed a couple of uh, quasi-big or, or big movies. Uh, Dune Part 2 is certainly going to be a big deal. That movie has been officially delayed until March of 2024. It was supposed to come out in November. And then uh, The Lord of the Rings, The War of the Rohirrim is an anime movie that's been in the works for a long time. And that was supposed to come out, I think, in the either early or middle of next year. Then now, now that's been bumped back to December of 2024, which I guess if there's a silver lining there, it's that a new Lord of the Rings movie is coming out in December, which kind of feels right given the Peter Jackson trilogy, or the original trilogy came out in December all those years mm -hmm. ago. So um, that, that's like one tiny, tiny silver lining there. And maybe because it's animated, maybe that, that delay will actually help because of how like under fire the animation community has been in the past decade plus, uh, maybe a little bit of extra time will actually help that production, you know, complete the, the movie in a way where like, all of the animators aren't suffering from crunch and, and working insane hours leading up to the, the final release of it. So um, yeah, just trying to look for, <laughs> for potential positives out of this situation. But um, Denis Villeneuve, who's directing the new uh, Dune movie, who also directed Dune part one um, is now sort of, putting feelers out there about potentially directing a third movie, an adaptation of Dune Messiah, which is one of the books. Um, so you can read a little bit more about that there. But um, but yeah, D BJ, I wanted to, to ask you about this TikTok piece that you wrote because um, I feel like an old person because I'm not on TikTok. And I, I feel like I consider you my uh, my TikTok correspondent or something occasionally in, in Slack. I am the most chronically online member of the Slash Film uh, team. <laughs> yeah, you'll you'll be like, hey, have you guys seen what's going on in TikTok over here? Check this out or whatever. And I'm, I'm always like learning things about what's going on in social media from you, which again, makes me feel just absolutely ancient. Uh, but um, tell me a little bit about what's going on with TikTok and Hollywood and, and this piece that you wrote. 
Alrighty. So I so I'm just fascinated by the landscape of TikTok because so much of how TikTok operates has been influencing our industry, whether people realize it or not. So I'm I guess I'm looking at it as like I'm on the ground floor, uh, kind of looking at this. But there are a couple of things that I've been noticing, and it's really weird to me that nothing seems to be being done about it. So the first one is that, uh, and this will hopefully make you feel not quite as old, but in the early days of YouTube, people would often upload full movies or TV shows broken in like three to 10 minute segments. And the reason was because either A, our computers were just too slow and they like couldn't handle uploading a whole movie to YouTube, or it was a way to get around copyright strike because the, you know, the, the, the filters or whatever they had were not that good yet. Um, mm-hmm. So you could kind of get away with it. I honestly, like I've seen a lot of movies that way that never made the jump from like VHS to, you know, DVD and Blu-ray or even are hard to find on streaming. Like th- I think that there is like a, a an outlet that is good in terms of like preservation for this sort of thing, but that's not what we're talking about <laughs> when it comes to TikTok. Um, so that sort of practice is being revived on TikTok, but it's not with things that are lost it's with stuff that's like on Netflix. Um, so you can go to people's TikTok channels and it's like, here's an episode of the show Working Moms in three to 10 minute increments. And so you'll <laughs> just sit on one thing and just scroll up. And because, you know, all of these shows are shot in, you know, landscape, they'll put things underneath it, like people playing with slime or someone playing subway surfers or what have you. Um, like so in the same of, video window? Yes. Yes. In the same video window. So it's like picture in picture, but it's split. And um, <laughs> oh God, that sounds like such a nightmare. So and like what's so weird is um my brain has gotten used to it because I've been like, you know, doing, I did a lot of research for this piece. Um, my brain has gotten used to it. And apparently it actually works to keep people's attention because kids today and, you know, I don't want to say kids, but like people in general today are on their phone so much and scrolling so much that having a secondary thing to look at kind of like tricks your brain into thinking like you've moved on to something and it actually oh. helps with viewer retention. Oh my um, God, that is one of the most depressing things I've ever heard. All of our <laughs> attention spans are just completely shot at this point is what's happening. Um, but what's <laughs> wild is that like no one's really getting like copyright strikes for this. Whereas like if you are on, you know, Twitter or Facebook or whatever and you post like a cute video of your dog doing something funny but you happen to be watching an episode of the office in the background like the office will smack that video with a copyright strike and you'll get like a a dcma takedown on it like that happens all the time but people are like straight up uploading full movies on tiktok and no one is doing anything at all yeah okay so that that's interesting because i my first thought was like the uh nightmare scenario that you just laid out for me where there's video and sort of picture in picture and multiple things playing in the same uh video frame if you want to call it that i guess the same screen almost um i was wondering if that was throwing off the uh, anti-piracy um, uh, algorithms or whatever that like mm-hmm. search and scan the internet and try to find this stuff. But the the example that you just brought up of the office proves that they're able to find that stuff, even if it's not the focus of what's going on in the video. So it's not that mm-hmm. that's causing them to uh, not take these videos down. It's something else. Do you think that it's, that it's, that they're leaving this stuff up on purpose for some reason? I think it's a combination of one, the TikTok algorithm, one is like so powerful um, that 
it's it's kind of uncanny um and eerie the way that the tiktok algorithm like knows me a little bit better than myself like the running joke on it is like oh the for you page really said for you today um because it will present me something that is so hyper specific that i'm like I, short of somebody actually being in my brain i don't know how the algorithm knew to send me this today mm-hmm. um so because of that it's not super easy to find a lot of it um some people will search like you know you know, the office episode five, part seven or whatever. And you'll find pieces of it there. Um, so it can find it. It's just, I don't know if it can keep up because there's so much of it and because it scrolls so quickly. So I think that might be part of it, but to your point of like, are they leaving it up on purpose? What's now becoming an issue, at least in my opinion, an issue is that some streamers and studios are releasing their own product this way. Um, So it's not outside of the ordinary for a TV series um, to release like the first episode, especially if it's a new series, the first episode on like YouTube. And it'll be like, you can watch the first episode of Chucky on YouTube or what have you. It's a, it's a way for free promotion. That's super common. Well, the problem is that now they're doing that with TikTok. So you have Peacock putting the first episode of uh, killing it, the comedy series on TikTok in three to 10 minute chunks And that is not great when we already have a culture where the media literacy is, you know, in the in the the dumpster and on fire, (laughs) Um, because now it's going to be a lot harder for people who are kind of coming new to this to to learn how to discern between bootleg, unofficial material and officially released material because they're getting it through the same, you know, the the, the same channel. And (laughs) And that's not even scratching the surface of the fact that people go on TikTok Live, which you can monetize, and are live streaming new releases in theaters or live streaming films that they've bootlegged from their house and playing it on TikTok Live. So they're making money off of streaming movies that they did not make. And again, this isn't like you know, people who are preserving lost media. It's like people who the first week of Super Mario Bros. were like, hey, you don't want to go to the theater? I bootlegged it. Now we can watch Super Mario Bros. on TikTok Live. Uh, Send me, you know, $5 as a thank you. Yeah. Wow. I wonder if TikTok is still just seen as like a sort of wild west to the the old guard of the studios and like they just haven't updated their algorithms to to a degree where or maybe they're just like not taking it as seriously as they could or should um do you have any like theories of why this is happening really so what's so frustrating is so one i think there is a fundamental misunderstanding of like the power of tiktok and what it can do if you haven't seen any of the congressional hearings about the legislators who wanted to ban TikTok, it is the most like old man thinks they know what technology is sort of arguments where it's just like, it's insanity. Like they have no idea what they're talking about and what they think it's capable of. So at the same time, they also don't, fundamentally understand how it works like they know that the kids today like tiktok which is why Mm -hmm. we keep seeing tiktok stars being cast in movies because they have you know these these huge followings and they assume that's going to equate to you know ticket sales and dollar signs but that's not how that works because tiktok is a free app and part of why people get so popular is because they don't have to pay for it Mm -hmm. um so it's so weird because on one hand they think tiktok is super powerful because that's why they're you know giving us these tiktok celebrities in movies but at the same time they don't understand that like tiktok is fundamentally changing the way that people consume media and 
like it's just I, I don't know if it's just because okay I do know what it is and I'm gonna get in a soapbox and I apologize to our listeners who don't want to hear this soapbox <laughs> but there is a huge problem that we're dealing with right now where we you know I'm not trying to like okay boomer it but we do have a an older guard of people that are in positions of power that should be retired by now and things should have been passed down to gen x and older millennials and that's not happening so now what's happened is we have all of these people in positions of power between legislation between studio heads between what have you that just they're they don't understand like what the world is now like they it just feels like we're all in arrested development (laughs) like because yeah this is something that's been yeah a lot of people been talking about this where like you know movie studios used to be run by people in their 30s you know right. all these years ago and now it's just like you know bob Iger's in his 70s or whatever and like and he's one of the ones who's who seems like uh you know more um i don't know like i'm not gonna say in touch because he's made some really boneheaded comments recently but like uh one of the more revered i guess studio heads mm-hmm. put it that way um so yeah, I, I totally understand what you're talking about, and that that yeah, I, I feel like TikTok is maybe like the front line of, um, or, or maybe not the front line, but like uh, a really good um, underlining reasoning of like, hey, this these are a, this is like a, a significant issue that's going on in Hollywood, and the fact that people don't understand this app and what it's done and and how big of an impact it can have um, probably says something about the leadership of these studios right now. I yeah I agree completely and it's so fascinating to me that you know these are people that are so intense about copyright protection and IP protection but like like you said TikTok is the wild west like there is so much stuff going on over there and they either are you know not thinking that it is powerful at all because in their minds they're like oh this that's a kids app that's a dancing app and that's not true like there are so many incredible adults that are on there every voiceover actor that you like they're on tiktok Mm -hmm. and they're making videos and showing you how they switch from one voice to the other there are prop masters on tiktok teaching kids how to make their own foam cinder blocks so that they can make you know action films at home on their phone and honestly tiktok is also radicalizing a lot of young people in regard to the strikes right now because so many of them were under the impression that you know writers and actors are all millionaires because they work in Hollywood. TikTok is where all of these actors were like, you want to see what a residual check looks like for 12 cents? Here it is. It was all on TikTok. So it's it's just really funny to me to like sit back and watch this. And it's like, y'all have no idea what a danger this is. Not like to be, you know, like, oh, TikTok's dangerous and we should avoid it. Like, no, 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 not that. But like dangerous is in like, they're going to take you down and like irreparably change your industry and you're going to miss it because you're too busy golfing and being on yachts. (laughs) Yes. Um, Okay. So one last thing that I wanted to mention here, like several times over the course of this conversation, I've thought about Quibi. uh, And you mentioned that in in your, uh, at the very end of of this article here, like maybe somebody should just buy the Quibi library and officially monetize this and release the stuff on TikTok and see how it does. Um, Do you think that's actually going to happen? Because like Quibi was severely dunked on at the time when it was released. It was like, right at the start of the pandemic and it was like terrible timing for uh for the quibi executives to be releasing this when everybody was at home for the first time and sort of uh staying home and, and trying to you know be in, in various stages of lockdown and all that stuff but now that like uh, tiktok has kind of as you said like almost trained people to watch things in a different way and like we've had a few years of of that type of thing becoming more and more mainstream i wonder if like 
this actually not so bad of an idea? I don't know. What do you think? Okay. So I genuinely think that what they need to do is like, don't mention that it was on Quibi. Cause here's like, nobody watched it. Like the people, they don't know. They don't know. This is a Quibi show. Just release it on TikTok as if this is just like, you know, oh, we made this short film. Here's what it is. Because there are filmmakers. There's there's this one guy, and I don't know his actual name, unfortunately. Like, it's just not in the front of my brain. But he makes like social issue short films. Like, that's his whole thing. So it'll be like, this is a, a short film about a girl who's being bullied at a like sleepover and then she goes to the hairstylist and she gets a new haircut and suddenly everyone wants to be her friend again or this is a, a social short film about like a kid that was roaming the streets alone and a good samaritan you know picked up the kid and then you learn the kid's tragic backstory whatever like there are filmmakers who are making films and specifically releasing them onto tiktok knowing that these are going to go viral and they can monetize that by being part of like you know the the creator fund or mm-hmm. you know all of that sort of stuff if somebody took the like so people do watch it they do watch original content that is like dramatized that is fictional on tiktok so if you just don't say quibi because everyone knows that quibi's kind of become a joke i mean we joke about it in slack when we say we're gonna go take a break we say <laughs> i'm gonna go take a quibi um if you don't acknowledge that it's a quibi show and it's just like here's 50 states of terror or whatever that same Raimi show is. And yeah, each yeah. episode is a new state. I guarantee you they will go viral and who like whatever channel is the one that's uploading it. They will see the revenue from the like ad sharing programs or whatever deal they make with TikTok. I genuinely think people will watch it, but they're not going to download a new app for it. They're not going to download Quibi. They will watch it on TikTok because you're already giving it to them on a platform where they exist, but trying to get them to get a new app. That's not happening. Yeah. I want to say that the Quibi library was purchased by the Roku channel. I think that's right. Um, I think so. Cause I know they got Reno 911 and that was the only one I cared about. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So yeah, maybe somebody on TikTok or some uh, enterprising person could uh, with a bunch of money <laughs> and no other good place to spend it right now uh, could try to, yeah, hit up Roku and see if they could buy out the Quibi library and become TikTok sensations. So uh, mm-hmm. who knows? But um, all right. Well, this has been great. Thank you, BJ, for, for breaking down uh, you know, what the youngs are doing out there. For me. Um, <laughs> happy happy to help with my adult teen skills. <laughs> all right. You can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. The SlashFilm show is published two times a week, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site, like BJ's article, which again, I'll link to. Uh, you can subscribe to the SlashFilm show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter, send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at bpearson at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.